Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear, performance hunting apparel, performance layering system, and we're into December and Christmas shopping is a full go, but like everyone else that is uh, direct to consumer, if you're looking to order Christmas presents, it's probably a good idea to get on it and get that done, because we all have probably at some point experienced the issues with the shipping industry, but... Everything is well in stock. You can use the LABH code for 20% off of all regularly priced items um, on your first purchase at Scree. And remind you that if you've purchased any Scree gear this year, if you'll send us an email at info at louisianabowhunter.com or you can message me or you can message the Louisiana Bowhunter page on social media and send us a review with your name and your location, what you purchased, good or bad. Um, And we're going to draw one random review and that person's going to win a louisiana bowhunter gear pack at christmas so um encourage you to check them out online at screegear.com follow them on social media lots of videos and and other information there to find out more about their gear and uh shop online screegear.com kyler december getting close to christmas and we are as we're recording we're finally getting that cold wet weather that you so greatly crave love everything's brown and dead my favorite time well uh the crazy thing is two days ago everything was like spring Mm -hmm. it's been a crazy roller coaster 
here the first week of December um, weather-wise. I I was actually had a baseball practice with my kids on Sunday, and it was like being out there in the springtime. I actually uh, told a friend of mine Monday, I think, or Sunday or Monday, I was driving past a, a pasture, and there were actually blo- like there were things blooming, like little <laughs> flowers and things like you start to see in March because it was yeah. 75 degrees and the sun was shining, and it was like, I, I swear if I stop this truck right now, I can get a turkey to gobble. I know I can. <laughs> it was it was uh it was a good weekend for projects at the camp uh laundry uh moving cameras uh, all that stuff Any, anything but but hunting I, I made one hunt on saturday morning and, and then saturday afternoon and all day sunday i finished building this big uh boat cover pole barn lean-to thing so uh at the camp so that all my so i don't lose any more dirt i i, I built a retaining wall and got like 14 loads of dirt piled up and limestone on top and it's been raining on it and kind of cutting those those water grooves on the side so i finally got it all covered up and all finished but you've been doing a project building a shed too it's kind of a pathetic hunting weekend if we're all doing construction projects yeah it's yeah i ever since we came back from the midwest i woke up that saturday morning after we uh came back and it was just one of those things where i had been thinking about it and i want to like a garden tool shed, just really for more storage as much for anything, to keep some stuff out of the weather. And, and also just my, I have an office here detached from my home, and I want to free up space in there to make it more usable because it's kind of a storage room as much as anything. And I've been thinking mm-hmm. about it and thinking about it, and I woke up that Saturday morning, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to the hardware store. And I'm just going to buy a truckload of lumber and just start putting stuff together and see what happens. And so well, you I couldn't do it last year with it being so expensive. Yeah, it, it it's still pretty expensive. But here's the thing. My wife and I have gone, and you know if you go to Home Depot or Lowe's, somewhere like that, they have those those sheds that they're, they have the demos out in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. They got lots of different styles from really cheap plastic and, and metal to, to these really nice little little camp house looking barns and wooden and like to have one like I wanted you know to buy one of those kits and specifically to buy one and have it delivered and put together on your property it was like twelve thousand dollars I was like it's insane and I'm like yeah I, I you know and I'll be the first to admit I'm not a carpenter um but you know I mean if I take my time I can usually figure things out, and I'll also be the first to admit that I kind of stepped up. I mean, I made this thing 20 by 12 with a front porch, so it's it's a full-fledged camp house pretty much. Yeah. But And, and I stepped way off into a big project that at times over the last three weeks I have kind of wanted to kick myself and been like, you know what, you really should have just bought what you wanted. <laughs> but yeah. as, as, you know, I'm coming to the end of it, and really all I have left to do is, is put the metal roof on it and paint it, and – I'm under two thousand dollars on a twenty yeah. by twelve that would have cost me closer to fifteen thousand to have all the different features I wanted and to have it delivered. So I'm still doing good. And to your point, there was for me anyway. I, I like you said, I went out and moved some cameras around and stuff, but I just couldn't make myself. You know, I mean, it was it was cool enough to to make an early morning hunt or whatever. But I I just seventy five degrees in the, during the middle of the day, yeah. south winds, it's rough man. I was like, I, you know, so I haven't really hunted, but, but 
yesterday we got all that rain across the south, and today it's been just dreary and misty, and, and it, of course it feels colder than it is because it's wet, and I'm thinking, man, it's going to get, I think it's going to warm up a little bit, but then get cool again, so we're just kind of in that up and down phase, but it feels right now. It feels like there ought to be deer rutting right now. I, I don't know if they are, but they ought to be getting there pretty close. Well, so I, I, I'm glad you said that. It reminds me of something that we talked about. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was the episode we did with Rick Ward when we were talking about historical deer movement dates. Was yeah. that him? This I don't. Been, uh, this I don't been remember. I remember us having a conversation about this, but I don't remember the guest. Okay. Well, um, I. You had told a story, and I think Rick kind of chimes in on something similar. You told a story about how bucks will do the same thing on the same day different on different years, yeah. um, like a, like an internal clock. And that's always been really interesting to me. The problem is you can only test that annually, you know, mm-hmm. like like a, like a uh, in person test. Well, I've had December sixth burned into my head ever since last year. Um, I was running coverts in a spot last year, and just as a side note, really wasn't super impressed with my coverts. I sold them all. I bought 10 Tacticams, and they have been amazing, like the best cameras I've ever used. Um, and so I, I have had those out for a while, but one of those cameras in, is in a spot where when I checked my covert in person last year, I had more pictures than – were being sent to me and december 6th was this explosion of deer activity in this one spot that i've got i call it the box because it's crp on the north and then you've got a thicket on the west side that's a straight line and then you've got a creek on the east side that's a straight line so it's kind of like this 90 degree square hunting spot that i've got so i call it the box and um anyway they were going nuts in the box december 6th of last year well um I have a camera there. It didn't do anything last this year at all. <laughs> she was absolutely dead. But then I also found out that the landowners north of the box that's not that's on private land shot thirty five bucks off of three thousand acres that went one thirty plus. And Jesus. so I just don't. Yeah, they were really gluttonous. And I, I I can't say a whole lot about the property, but let's just say that they're doing it for Instagram and some TV shows. And it's bullshit the way that they are pretty much raping that property. Um, but theirs can do whatever they want with it. But they they hit it so hard last year that they um, they went archery only this year because mm-hmm. they don't have anything on camera. So the box has been dead for me all year. But other cameras that I have that weren't raped and pillaged uh, in the around really went off yesterday. But it was also we had that big front move through. I had no activity through this. This is Monday we're talking about, so this is by the time this airs. It might be a couple of days, but um, the afternoons really kicked off big time. A lot of red activity, and then it's been pretty strong today too. It's been cold, but I think, like you said, it's just warm up a little bit and chill out, chill a little bit on the weekend. But um, yeah. anyway, December December sixth been that date in my mind for a while, and I think possibly if those external factors of the surrounding property hadn't been such a made such an impact i I think it probably would have repeated itself yeah um, my my input to that was at the time and i guess kind of still is today but like for me in the south i've killed it's really not so much that i've done a lot of like analytical kind of research into into it it's just a fact it's just a fact that 
I've killed quite a few deer on some specific dates, and it over the years it becomes a trend. If you kill enough, like for me, December seventeenth, I've killed. I don't know what it, I can't remember now because I didn't kill one last year because I didn't hunt, which is one of the first times I haven't hunted that day um, in a long time. But I've killed five or six deer bucks now, not just any deer. I mean, you know, good hunts like target kind of animals on December 17th in southwest Mississippi, uh, a couple of them in uh, my part of Louisiana, which is East Feliciana, which borders southwest Mississippi. Um, And then in the Midwest, I've killed like five deer on November the 8th. Now, you know, some of that has just has to do with those are periods of time on my personal calendar where I hunt a lot. You know, I'm always in the Midwest around that week. So that day, um, November the 8th, I'm always usually hard at it hunting that day. So, but, you know, with that being said, I'm, I'm also hunting a lot on November the 6th and 7th and 10th and stuff like that as well. Um and then December 17th is, you know, I, I have always found in the places that I hunt the most that the week before Christmas is a really prime time for me to hunt. And then also after the holidays in certain areas where there's a later rut. So I don't know, Tyler, if it's a, a frequency thing or if there's really some analytical data to be had from it. I, I You know, it may just be that I hunt harder in those times, so those dates just kind of fell in place i don't know what was the day and date that you shot your buck in missouri this year because it was the same day i shot mine in oklahoma was it was it it was a friday was that the 15th or is that the 13th uh no no i shot the kansas deer on the 15th it was uh it was november the 12th 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 and then i shot the kansas deer on monday the 15th it was the 12th okay yeah because wednesday was the 10th and that's the way we went back the day we went back okay so that day, November 12th, on Friday, I remember, I don't know if it was weather or what, but I remember I saw a ton of deer in person that day. I shot my buck that day. You shot your buck that day in a totally different state, and a lot of people that you and I both know also killed a lot of stuff that day in the Midwest um, with outfitters, DIY, public land hunts, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But, but I remember I burned November 12th into my head um, uh, that day as well. Uh, for 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 the same reason for the historical. Well, if hunting. you remember November the eleventh this year, there was a huge front that pushed all the way through from the Dakotas yeah. all the way down through too. So that may add something to do with the twelfth. And that, you know, actually you say that, and it's I did kill a really nice deer, one of my biggest on the twelfth. But I hunted, um, I kind of hunted on the tenth. Not really. That was the day it started raining, and we didn't hunt for very long, a couple hours. But I hunted the 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, and 15th, and I saw less deer on the 12th. I just happened to see the biggest deer that Mm. I saw and shot, you know. But actually, um, the other days I hunted, I saw more deer activity. I I sat all day, daylight to dark on the 12th, and I, you know, I mean, I saw a few deer scattered throughout the day, but it was just 4 o'clock in the afternoon, this deer come walking along. You know, really, I was, there was more activity in general after that date for me, but... It's it's impossible to, like I said, I I've kind of come to the to the conclusion for myself that a lot of the date stuff that I look at in my own personal hunting history has really more to do with my own personal calendar, and so it you know mm-hmm. obviously 
you choose time periods and they fall in your calendar and, and how you hunt. And so therefore, you know, you're more likely to be successful in those date ranges. I, I, I think, but because I, I do really believe that whether it's general deer activity or rut activity, either, or I think the weather plays such a big role and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's you know November the twelfth on one year might be perfect the day after a front and everything, and then on the next year it may be uh, terrible. You know, uh, hot and yeah. windy and you know who you know. So uh, anyway, we're gonna um we got a pretty cool episode. Uh, pretty cool episode. We have three generations of the Craig family from Craig Archery's Craig Archery in Pineville, Louisiana. It's Sean Sean Jr. and Mr. Pat Craig. They're going to join us, and we, we get a lot of conversation about traditional archery. It's something I think is gaining in popularity because, I, in my opinion, and Kyler, you've actually dove off into this, and we've talked about it on numerous occasions, your adventures as a traditional bow hunter um, on the podcast and, and things. But I think that traditional archery, for people that are serious about archery and bow hunting, it's it's kind of a maturation step in that it's a challenge, you know, um, you know, I think there's two different types of hunters and some of those hunters evolve into a more relaxed state where they try to find more simple ways to be successful. And then there's another type of hunter that evolves into the more success they have, the more they want to challenge themselves yeah. uh, to, to, to replicate that same success. And, and obviously hunting with a traditional bow where your range is limited, you're shooting, um, and your ability to be consistently accurate is more challenging and all that kind of thing. So, um, Kyler, I'm going to let you just kind of take over and, and a guest that you have a lot of history with, so I'm going to let you introduce them and kind of take over and lead it off. Our guests every week are brought to you by our friend Brian Chamberlain, the Chamberlain Lending Team with Movement Mortgage. And if you're in need of a residential loan, primary or secondary vacation investment, cash out, rate reduction, renovation for add-ons, any of these kind of needs, contact Brian. Nobody does better. Low credit scores, potentially 0% down, and the movement mortgage, 42% of their profits go towards charitable organizations through the Movement Foundation, and that sets them apart. Brian is licensed in Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, NMLS number 114586, and Movement Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender, NMLS ID number 39179. So we've got um, Pat, Sean, and Sean Jr. on the phone. They're all on sharing a speakerphone. So guys, thanks for joining us today. All right, man. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Well, so um, this is an episode I've wanted to record with y'all for quite a while. Um, we get asked fairly often, you know, are there any bowyers in the state? We're going to get into traditional bows. A lot of people start off uh, with like really inexpensive budget bows, like a Samick Sage or or something off of eBay or whatever, which isn't a bad starting point. But um, I I have always been extremely impressed with the balance of quality craftsmanship and affordability of a custom bow that y'all make. So. Um, uh, Pat, tell us a little bit about your company and how you got started in, in your products. Well, we started about the year 2000, I guess. I was still working and uh, had a full-time job, and it was kind of a hobby that we started off with mainly children's bows. And, of course, you know, that didn't last long before we had to have 
something for us or try something, you know. And uh, it's evolved from one design and keep advancing every year, getting a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better every year until we've come up with a design that we're using now and we totally tickled to death with it. Uh, it's fast, it's smooth, it's got good cast, no hand shock. Uh, several people have killed umpteen deer with them. So we're, we're having a good time. Now we made- That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, sure. go ahead. Sure. Let, let's, uh, let's pause, let me check it real quick and then we can continue on, okay? Yeah, check the audio real fast. All right. All right. So, yeah. so y'all, y'all been doing this for about twenty years now. Um, tell us, tell us where you're located and um, kind of some of the the process for somebody to to get a bow started with y'all. Uh, located in central Louisiana, in actually Pineville, uh, Louisiana, out of uh, Dad's house, uh, the shops in the back. And so uh, the, we really love for people to come by and put their hands on it. Uh, we do have a few that call and they're experienced in traditional archery. They know what they want. And so those are easy ones, but there's a lot of people are new. And so they really don't know exactly what they want uh, as far as they can't really tell you like a handle, what kind of handle they want or uh, what kind of poundage. And it is different when you're going to shoot say 70 pound compound in a uh, a longbow or a recurve so uh, and you, you tell them you know maybe 40 45 pound uh longbow and, and they get it they look like they got a bad taste in their mouth yeah i'm i'm, yeah. I'm gonna come at this conversation as the uh very much the uh newbie amateur guy that doesn't know very Prospect. much prospect because i am that um i'm 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 someone who's toyed with the idea and i'm also someone who has the sort of personality trait that i dive way off into things i don't i don't go the cheap or easy route to try to decide i either make the decision and go full bore so i'm the kind of guy that would show up at your shop with absolutely no idea what i'm doing but want something custom built don't want to start with a with a uh you know, a, a, a bow off the shelf. So, you know, understanding, I guess, tell us a little bit more about how people should 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 look at that and understand, because I'm the same way. I wouldn't know. I mean, I, I understand enough about what's going on to understand the poundages are very different, but I shoot a 70-pound compound. Um, so, you know, explain how that fit and feel translates when you're walking somebody through getting started. Well, usually what we'll do is that we'll we'll grab a bow off the rack and you know we'll guesstimate a poundage, hand it to them and literally have them pull it. And you know it, it's one thing to pull seventy pounds on a on something with uh, with uh, what 85 percent let off, and something when you pull it all the way back, you're holding a solid forty five to fifty pounds. And so we'll, we'll hand them a bow and, and, and just that's a starting place. So here, pull that and we'll see how well do they do it. And we'll know, do we need to go up? Do we need to go down? Um, and then from there, uh, if they can pull it and they can halfway look like they can tolerate it, then we'll grab arrows and actually take them and, and let them shoot and kind of see where they're at and where we, where we need to begin. I think... Yeah. 
to me as as the prospect, the complicated the complicated thing yeah. for me would be no. with a compound bow. I can go buy a compound bow that's got seventy pound limbs, and I can crank it down and shoot at fifty eight, fifty nine, sixty pounds for a while until I better my form and get better at what I'm doing and work my way into more performance through higher poundage. What's the what's the what's your suggested process on someone who obviously has got to do a lot of work on the form aspect of just being a you know a, a competent consistent shooter? Um, what what does that process look like, and how long do you think that that normally takes? Someone we we normally recommend to people less is more, especially if you're not an experienced shooter. So that if you're trying to pull too much weight, you tend to develop very bad habits trying to just be able to pull it back. And so uh, when all possible, we ask, we let people say, look, get a little bit less in, uh, and we even had a few that we would, um, you know, we'd let them shoot something smaller and come back and trade it in later. But, you know, some, for, for certain people, um, because, you know, they, they, you have to build your muscles and it'll take, if you shoot consistently daily and you don't have to shoot 400 times a day, but build your shoulders and and uh, not trying to overdraw over overbow yourself. Then you know within a couple of months of, of shooting and consistent practice, then you're you can go up and go up. Say if you were at forty, then you know easily go up to forty five, maybe even fifty, depending on the person. A better explanation of bad habits would be in a, an example in a shooting a compound would be like scott draw mm-hmm. uh man having the bow so heavy that you gotta scott you gotta pull that bow as high as you can pull down with your draw arm and then come down on the target that would be an example of some of, of a bow being way too heavy yeah that's a good that's a good it, example If you're frustrated with your property, the forecast for the season doesn't look too great, or maybe you've just decided it's time to move on and invest in your own property, contact our friend Slade Priest at Southern States Realty, a part of the Realtree United Country Hunting Properties Network, the largest network of hunting and recreational real estate experts in America. Nobody in our area sells more, and Slade's not just a realtor. He's not just a real estate agent. He's a passionate outdoorsman that understands what the buyers and sellers need. He knows how to put them together. He knows how to look at a piece of property and put the right people in the right place. Nobody sells more. You've seen him on outdoor TV. You see him on digital media. He spends his life in the outdoors. He's passionate about it, and it comes through in the results. If you're in the market, contact our friend, Slade Priest, the Hunting Land Man, huntinglandmanms.com. Check out all the new listings that he's posting on a regular basis, some exciting properties. Check them out, huntinglandmanms.com. From there, we work from We work from, okay, that's too much. We'll go down to a lighter boat. And we'll, we'll watch you and see where you feel comfortable and what is too heavy and what's too light. And then we work from there. From working that direction, we've determined whether you can actually hold a good form and be able to control the boat, be able to control your shot, and be able to focus on what you're doing right and wrong. If it's too heavy, you're more focused on getting the bow, getting the string back to your face and trying to force yourself to make a good shot 
but it's too heavy and you're not able to concentrate on what you're doing. If you have a bow that's too light, you take way too long and you're way too focused on what you're doing. I've I've been around traditional shooting, very limited, but I recall one time uh, I was, my neighbor is Warren Walmack and Mr. Warren obviously is, is well known in the traditional archery community and he's just, yeah. we share a mailbox space. So I go over there from time to time and, and just visit with him. And, and, and I was over there, uh, Kyler, I think you were there. I think we were at, you were at my house and we were doing some stuff for Louisiana bow hunter and we went over to visit with Mr. Warren or something. And we were shooting a couple of his bows and I remember uh, Kyler and, and Mr. Warren talking about like two different styles of shooters. You've got, and, and pardon me because I probably am not going to get the terminology right, but you've got your regular style shooter that draws to an anchor point and, and aims instinctively and releases. And then you have a shooter that, you know, you have the clicker thing where you basically get to kind of a quick draw kind of thing. Um, Am I, am I, is that a thing, or am I just imagining this? Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Pat, Pat can explain better to me. Yeah, go ahead, you. Pat. Uh, the, I'm purely an instinctive shooter, and the biggest thing I can think of is most people, especially with compounds, they got to be either 65, 70 pounds, or some of that mess. One of the worst conceptions is is you take a traditional bow at 45 pounds, it'll kill anything on the North American continent. My personal bow is 43 pounds. Uh, I sold a customer a 38-pounder because he had shoulder problems. He couldn't shoot a heavier poundage bow. Two weeks later, he sent me a picture of a beautiful 10-point out of Oklahoma. So now, the the misconception that you've got to have more than 40 pounds uh that, that's that's promoted by all them compound shooters. Well, I, I guess my, my question about that is just kind of continuing in the conversation about how people can figure out what they should be shooting if they transition from compound to traditional. Is with, with the two different styles of shooters that I talked about, I mean, maybe it's an obvious question, but it seems to me like you could get away with more poundage if you were more of the quick shooter because you're not holding back the weight as the, uh, uh, more so than someone who holds to an anchor point and, and tries to aim instinctively. Am I so, so Locke, you, what you're doing, you're, you're actually combining a difference between an aiming style and a release style. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of go into both of them. So the two most popular forms of, of aiming is going to be instinctive, which is what Mr. Pat just said, and then there's something called gap shooting. And gap shooting is where you're essentially using um, the tip of your arrow or your broadhead as a point of reference in relation to the thing you're aiming at. Much like we would use a pen on a compound, you have a point of reference, a literal point, like a tip of the arrow point of reference that you're using to gauge where you should aim, your arc, arc and all of that stuff. An instinctive shooter is, in my opinion, something that is um, subconsciously developed over years and years and years of practice and becoming comfortable with the bow. And I've been wanting to use this analogy with you for a long time. Um, A gap shooter can explain to you exactly where he aimed and what he was looking at when he released. 
an instinctive shooter can only tell you what he was focusing on on the target. There's absolutely no bearing of the bow's position in his mind. He's not looking at the arrow point and then the deer or the arrow point and then the dot on the target. This analogy that, that I have is it's much like fielding a ground ball as a third baseman and making a perfect throw to first. Well, you do that after years and years of repetition, if you went up to your third baseman and said, how did you hit him in the chest at, what is that, like 60 feet, 90 feet, something like that, whatever it is? 180 feet. He couldn't tell you the exact mechanics of it. He couldn't say, oh, well, I preloaded my you know, my legs here, and then I came over the top, and I released at 11 o'clock, blah, blah, blah. He, that's not how you make a throw from third to first. It's something you just do. Like it, like it, that's instinctive to me. Um, it's, it is, there is not a thought process. It's only subconscious inputs giving you an intended output. Whereas gap shooting is very intentional inputs giving you an intentional output. Um, what you're talking about is snap shooting, which isn't, is more of a release style Guys, Pat, would, Pat, Sean, Sean, would you all agree with that? It's more of a, a style of shooting um, than it is in aiming because that's would probably fall. You can snap shoot with gap or instinctive, I would imagine. Um, yeah. That's just really quick release where you like almost um, it puts you like this. You know when you've got uh, guys that shoot um, uh, not caliper releases. Um, what what is it the uh, the sear release, not a thumb release. What is it? Back tension. Back tension. Okay. So yeah. Im- imagine imagine a, a snap shooter, the second his finger or his string or whatever his anchor point touches, he's letting go. So he's trying to stay on target with the arrow the entire time he's drawing. And it's the second it hits his, the corner of his mouth or the tip of his nose, that arrow is gone. Um- I'm, I'm laughing to myself because all I can imagine is somebody that doesn't know how to back tension, shoot a back tension, that's exactly what they're going to do. Well, <laughs> if you just pop them in the mouth, yeah, absolutely. Um, but but uh, essentially, it's, it's uh, I don't see that style much anymore. It's kind of quick and dirty. It's not the most accurate. I mean, if, if you if – you, um, you can get good at it. Like you can perfect it, but I think there's better ways to be more accurate through practice. Um, like for example, I, I shoot, I shoot gap. I have to have a point of reference. I haven't been shooting a trap bow long enough to only shoot instinctive. Um, and uh, you'll even have some people out there and maybe I fall better in this category that think they're doing a little bit of both. It's kind of like a slight point of reference, but also a feel thing. Um, I think if you do that for long enough, you eventually just become an instinctive shooter and you don't even see the tip of your arrow anymore. Basically. Yeah, pretty much. And because we've shot with guys over the years that they would, they had a 50, 55 pound bow and they would pull it and hold it and hold it. And they were instinctive shooters. They, they didn't shoot gap. And you think, my God, how long is he going to hold that bow? Um, and that's just, that was his style and so we've had we we've had shooters that we've worked with that you know when they first start they they're very much snap i mean they they pull it back they barely get it to the mouth and letting it go and and so it's a matter of trying to 
we try to help get them to look, hold it one, you know, counts one, two, you know, we have them get them to hold it just a second longer. And you get a lot better results. Absolutely. I, I will say that there's so many different styles of instinctive shooting. You have uh, a perfected style of snap shooting, which uh, your top shooters like Howard Hill, uh, who is the other guy that did trick shots? Uh, met him in Mississippi. Oh, Ferguson. Byron Ferguson. Byron Ferguson. They were all very quick. They never anchored. They never did anything. It's all into what you would do yourself. Now, when it comes to the the style of gap shooting, I found of a lot of ex-compound shooters, um, whatever you would call it, OCD shooters, they they go to gap shooting because it's it's very explanational. It, it's very one two three. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it it shows that okay, if I do this and I do this, I can get a very consistent style of shooting without having to know the knowledge of say somebody that shot instinctive for five ten plus years. I can. I can skip all that years of knowledge by a gap shooting. I've, I've met people like that. I've shot with people like that. And they have had a lot of success. Um, a lot of it comes with just time. Time, practice, knowing your setup, and being able to be successful with it. Well, one of the things, Kyler, if you're going to shoot paper targets, strictly paper targets, known distance, first one thing or another, the the gap shooting would be the way to go if you're going to uh -huh. hunt the instinctive way is to my this is my way of thinking now uh, uh the gap uh, the the instinctive is better you don't you don't have to sit there and count is it 23 yards is it 28 yards whatever you pick that spot and like you say throwing the baseball you're going to hit that spot yeah and, and, absolutely yeah now if you're going to sit there and shoot paper targets your your mind will not concentrate that tough that long to say to you ten hours, to, to five, even five hours at, at, a, at, a, at a at a center dot or some stuff like that. Whereas like when you're in a hunting situation, you know if you get one shot, you look you know uh, mm -hmm. concentration. Your brain will out. Your brain will take care of all the other if you will just let it work. Let, yeah. let, let's transition a little bit on our conversation here and find out. I, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear a little bit of a, a storytelling, a little bit more about how you got into doing this. I mean, you mentioned that you guys had started um, back in about 2000 and, and were making kids' bows and stuff. But um, going even a little further back, um, I'm assuming you were a traditional archer before. You know, what got you interested in it? And then how did you get started doing it and, and, well, and some I of those stories? Before there was compound bows, uh, you know, I mean, that's what we had, you know. And, uh, of course, when the compounds came out, me and the boy both had compounds. And we killed deer with them. And first one thing or another, one day over in Mississippi, I'd killed a deer with it. And it's just like, okay, I've had enough of this. And I come home, sold all that mess, and, and went back to traditional. Well, then when I wanted to start building some, uh, Bingham projects, uh, he supplies all kind of stuff to build bows and stuff with. 
he's got a package deal to where you can buy the whole package, instruction, video stuff, how to build a boat. Uh, so I'd ordered one of them just for grins and giggles just to see what the devil. And, and that's how we got started. And uh, of course we built mainly a whole bunch of kid bows. Uh, God, I don't know how many things. I think we built over 200 of them before it was all said and done. And, and gave uh, them away. And, and gave most of them away. Uh, just just because we had the boat club and everything else, just messing with kids, you know. And uh, then we started building our own. And, of course, then we kept changing the forms and everything else until we got to where we're at now. And we even started using CAD programs and uh, just getting a little bit smarter, you know, with our stuff. And it's a hobby that's gone crazy. Uh, and, and of course, you're always looking for a new way to invent something else, you know. Yeah, because I think you told me one of them actually started off as a, uh, it was originally designed with a string on the floor. Uh, yeah. And that's how the original just kind of halfway looked up and got, got it as symmetrical as y'all could get it and, and drew that, drew it out. And that's how the form was made and made a bunch of them that way. Yeah. Uh, then we were using the C and, uh, not C and C, but, uh, getting the forms uh water jet water jet forms and, and, and everything else to where everything was i mean to the t and that improved the performance even uh so now when we draw up a design where well, we get somebody to uh put it on a computer and get it all drawn out and we get the form cut out and then we can make our forms with the plywood and it, it's a lot more efficient that way you know um, now, something I'm thinking you kind of, kind of guys, what y'all wanted to get back to is, is why in the world would we start building our own? And you, while we're sitting here talking, it, it just came to me. I said, you know, originally we had, I had a child, uh, my oldest son, who's on the call now. He was coming along. Children equipment was really hard to come by, especially in the traditional world. There was one old man in Mississippi that would come to tournaments in Baton Rouge. That was selling them, but he was he was quite elderly, and he quit. I mean, he just got out of the business, and so we we had more kids coming, grandkids coming, and said, okay, well, we have a, we need a way to supply these kids with bows and equipment, and that's where they they said, well, let's see if we can build our own because we we woodworked for years, got a shop, and we have a, most of the equipment needed to begin and so that's how we started um i mean my son started shooting at five uh with uh some of those as mr lofton he it was the gentleman in uh, mississippi and so that's where it really began was something we could outfit these kids and then more and more kids came along and different other people's kids and and it got out of hand <laughs> yeah sure yeah. So, so how many styles of bows are y'all making right now? Four. We have uh, two smaller recurves. Uh, actually, we have five if you count the smaller uh, longbow, which we, we haven't made as many of in, in a while. They're mostly the smaller recurves. So we have 48-inch recurve that's more for children, small children. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 54-inch that we developed mostly with the idea of bow hunting, I mean, uh, bow fishing. Uh, simply because it was a slightly longer frame and you can pull 30 inches on a 54-inch uh, recurve. And, and we've done a lot of that. 
And so mm -hmm. you have a, a longer uh, 58 plus inch uh, recurve and then our, our longbows uh, that we build, which is for adult. And we can go anywhere from 64 down to 58, uh, 58 yeah. uh, inch on those. Now that, to the people that don't know what that means, the, the longer the bow is generally for the, the taller, longer armed person. It's more comfortable. Um, if you took somebody that was six two, six four, and tried to give them a, you know, a, a little maybe 56, 58 inch longbow, they would be uncomfortable because it does not allow a comfortable pull, a long enough draw on it. It bottoms out. Mm -hmm. so, uh, we, have, we have our higher end bows, which are our FX2s. They are three-piece longbow. Then you go into our Raptors, which are a one-piece bow. They're the next ones down. Then you go into our uh, Ospreys, which are a bow fishing line, and then our kids' bows, which are the eagle line. Uh, that that was a lot cool. of all at once. But uh, that is how we step down from our high end to our low end. We got our FX2s, our Raptors, our Ospreys and then our Eagles. So the, the FX2 is what um, Harmon shoots, right? Yes, sir. We built gotcha. and gave them a, uh, a FX2 this year. It is our newest line. It's our newest style. It's our. It's one of our fastest shooting, uh, most performing bows this year. Very cool. And he he took that. What he shot a couple animals with it early season. Where in Colorado, a mule deer and a Black bear, is that right? Yeah. Black bear and a mule deer. Very cool. Um, yeah, Harmon is um, Harmon's a big, uh, I, I say, ambassador, supporter, if you will, of um, Simmons Simmons broadheads as well. He really likes, really right. likes those. He's got me shooting those as well. Yeah. Yes, sir. He, good he, he loves uh, the Simmons. I think it's the tiger shark or the swamp shark, depending on which one he's shooting. Mm -hmm. uh, he that that is is one of our favorites, also. Hunting season is here. That fall weather's upon us. If you've had some success, or you're expecting to, and you need a taxidermist, contact our friend Brian Anders at the Taxidermy Shop, located at 2582 Highway 48, Liberty, Mississippi. Conveniently located right between Centerville, Liberty, and Gloucester. Whether you're chasing bucks and ducks in the fall, big gobblers in the spring, or you land that trophy fish, give our friend Brian Anders a call at 601-248-6945. No job is too big or too small. Brian offers quality work in a timely manner, family-owned and operated. If you need a taxidermist, give our friend Brian Anders a call at the taxidermy shop, 601-248-6945. For people that uh, that might not, you know, are kind of coming into this trying to learn something, um, give us a give us a, a rundown on the differences between recurve and longbow, and 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 what considerations a a, a, a a archer should make, and which one is the right fit for them if they're going traditional. A recurve is less forgiving than a longbow. That is that is one of the basics that you kind of need to understand coming into it. Uh, uh, let's say a, a, a longbow will take most any kind of arrow, any kind of setup, and it will shoot it. 
Now you may you may need to do a little perfecting to make it right, but it will shoot it consistently no matter what. A recurve, a recurve is uh, is very finicky. It, it is particular on what it likes to shoot and what it doesn't like to shoot, and it'll it'll show from the beginning whether it likes it or it doesn't like it. It's uh, what's the best way to explain it? It's kind of like taking a rifle and swapping between uh, different grain bullets. It'll show what it likes and it doesn't like. Either one will be consistent, one won't be consistent at all. Is there is there different like physical characteristics, and and what I mean by physical characteristics are are form and shooting style that even though the recurve is less forgiving and more finicky is it would it still be a better fit for a certain style of shooter uh it that's one of those if if the shooter the shooter is very uh i like to the best way for me to put it is ocd if he's very one two three a a form problem will not come into a recurve. The only thing that will come into a recurve, mean finicky wise, is the arrow setup. As in uh, whether it being too heavy or too light. Uh, you take such as yourself uh, wanting to explore. You know that's why we prefer people come by here. But for you starting off. When we say longbow, now we ain't talking, we're talking a hybrid. We ain't talking that old D style longbow. Uh, I'd rather see you start off on one of the longbows because it's more forgiving of anything, your shooting style. Uh, in other words, it, it, it will put up with more mistakes than a recurve. And uh, it's easier, easier to learn uh, how to point and first one thing and another. Uh, and then some people that they're going to shoot a recurve. I don't care what, uh, so, so those kind of people, we just build them a recurve. But now if you convert them from, from compound, then, then this hybrid longbow we building would be my best suggestion, uh, because it is more forgiving. It's, it, it's easier to learn on. A good example to that would be watching like the Olympic style recurves olympic style recurves they have one certain form they stick to that very form and it never changes the only thing that ever changes may be their arrow setup everything is always in the same spot in the same hold the same amount of time everything is one two three uh for Somebody is experienced in the instinctive shooting or has shot longbows for a very long time, it would be a lot easier for them to take up a recurve versus a longbow. If that makes sense. It, 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 I, I, the obvious question that, that comes to my mind, and I, I try to, I, I, admittedly, I, I try to think through things as you're talking, and that's probably not the best. Thing and every, but I'm, I'm, as I'm thinking through it, so with everything you're saying, there's got for, for for people to shoot recurve and for recurve to be, you know, as evolved as it is, 
there's got to be some advantage to it, and and so uh, is that does that come in the design or w- what is the advantage to shooting a recurve? Previous times, years ago, recurves were always faster than okay. than than longbows, always. With this new design, this hybrid stuff, uh, now there there's not enough difference to brag on. Okay, it, that makes sense. Now, what you can do is you can shoot a recurve. It, it's usually shorter than than longbow, so you can shoot something that may be you know up to six inches shorter, you know, which is not a lot. But if you're going to try to shoot out of a blind or something that's heavily that, that you have some over some limbs overhead or something like that, you know, some people say, well, I want to shoot a, a recurve so that you know I can scoot it into it's more compact. Yeah, so it's ergonomics. Um, yeah. You know, and then it comes. A lot of times, it comes down to personal preference. But a lot of people believe that they're they're faster, and we've just with the new materials, the building materials that we have, the better the designs that reincorporate a little bit of the curved limb, like a, a recurve. Um, we we the speeds are just the same. There's really not a lot of advantage there, and they're just more forgiving. Longbows are just more forgiving overall. If you have a little bit twitch in your form or whatever, they're a little, little easier. And in fact, I think it was um, Howard Hill that made the comment that he wasn't good enough to shoot a recurve, which I find hard to believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's there's one thing there's one thing that I want that kind of the elephant in the room that I, I want to address. And that's the fact that I talked a lot of shit about traditional archery when I quit because I sucked at it. Um, and <laughs> I've been, I've been known to say on many, many podcasts is the most fun I never wanted to have again. Um, and, and so uh, I changed, so I had a bit of a, um, you should say a life changing uh, archery lesson in Oklahoma with David O'Donnell um, I've got, I've got a Craig archery bow. Um, it was 64 inches and I just didn't like, I don't like a 64 inch bow. Um, and I actually sent it back to y'all and y'all cut it back down to 60 inches uh, or y'all cut it down to 60 inches. Um, yeah. And, and it's, I like a 60 inch long, long bow. I don't, well, it doesn't matter. I, I like, I don't like a bow over 60 inches, whether it's long bow, long bow or a recurve. Um, but I've also got an Acadian Woods. Um, I've got uh, a cool self bow called a Swamp Fire, which is made by a guy in Prairieville. It was made in the '90s, and I'd have to look at. I'd have to go look at that bow in my in my shop and and see what the um, the guy's name was. But that's that's a true self bow. Like it has no shelf. Um, yeah. And that I mean, when you put that when you put an arrow on there, that arrow is sticking. At the end, the tip of the arrow, that arrow is sticking four inches to the left, um, and um, that's really cool. We need to talk about spine in a few minutes after I get through this. But um, anyway, I, um, I I fell victim unknowingly to the um, being overbowed. I was buying fifty and fifty-five pound bows. Um, I. I had a, a bow made out of Montana called a Z-Bow Stick, um, which is the fastest bow I've ever shot. It had this really cool double 
double recurve in it. Like there was a slight bend in the halfway up the limb, and then you had your typical claw bend forward. Like it, it was almost like a hook. It, it all, it, it didn't go 90 degrees. It almost like curved back on itself. It was really wild, like a ram's horn. Um, and uh, I recently gave that, I gave that bow to David O'Donnell um, just because he was shooting a, a bear grizzly. And when we were shooting in Oklahoma, I was I had brought my Canadian Woods because it's just what I had um, uh, I grabbed wanted to bring up there, and um, I would shoot and it would go, and he would shoot and it would go, and I would shoot and it go, and he'd shoot and it would sound like somebody banging gongs together, you know, it was just loud, man, so loud, and he was like, dude, I've never shot next to somebody because I've got to get a better bow, and. <laughs> <laughs> at the time, at the time, I wasn't. I still wasn't shooting the trad bows, and I'm not really a, like one to have excess anything. And but when I got into traditional archery, I kind of went a little nutso on bows because what you'll find is once you get a traditional bow, you want to get the rest of them. You know, <laughs> like you want. You, one one's not good enough like this one's cool but like how what about you know what about big gem what about a super shrew you know what about a timber ghost what about black widow it, it just goes on and on and on it's it's it becomes co- like collectors that you it's like it's like it's like getting to play with a painting i think um is is what is a good equivalent but anyway david uh took a a two-day course, and I don't remember the instructor's name, in Arkansas over the summer. He signed up. It was a few hundred dollars. It was like a, um, a, a seminar, and he learned this multi-step process with all these drills on how to get really good shooting. And um, in one or two days, like I'm talking like afternoons or evenings after hunts, he had me shooting three inch groups at 20, 20, yeah, about 20 yards. And, um, Sean, I, Sean Jr. I've shot a lot with you and we've shot the, you know, the range and we shot three challenge course and all that stuff over the years. But my, you, you shot with me. My problem was I was always a short draw person. I never would come back to full draw. And there's two symptoms that I had. I would, um, number one, I wasn't pulling with my back muscles. I wasn't trying to squeeze my shoulder blades together when I drew. I was pretty much pulling back with my biceps, um, like not a lot of back, mainly arms. And so what that what would happen is I would really start to run out of power about an inch to half an inch from the corner of my mouth. Well, I need an anchor point, right? I got to have some reference on where I'm aiming. So I did this subconscious thing where I would push my head forwards to make contact with the string. (laughs) And believe it or not, I killed a lot of animals doing that. But I also wounded a few, and I just flat out missed other times. Um, And David got me lined out. So my my Acadian Woods is 46 pounds. And, um, and y'all, I mean, y'all, that's the other thing is it, that's, what's so cool about the Bowyer community is y'all are all friends. Like I know you and T- y'all and Tim are, are, he's like a mentor and a friend to y'all. Right. Absolutely. Um, uh, he's been awesome. I mean, to, he'll, we'll sit down and just start talking things and he'll share ideas and, and he'll ask us our opinion and, 
and some of the things that he shared is is amazing. I mean, he didn't have to do that at, at all. And but I mean, we'll just sit around and and as he said, you know, we'll just talk and sometimes and we think a little bit, we drink a little bit, and and share some some amazing information. And it's just it's really great to be included in his circle where he would do that as drinking and thinking well by his words (laughs) Uh, anyway a lot a lot of what you're talking about collar is is it comes down to form it's the same thing as uh, a pitcher and a national uh, baseball league kind of deal it's he doesn't go in not knowing his own style of pitching he doesn't know he doesn't go in not knowing how to throw a curveball or uh, how to pitch somebody out. I'm not. I'm not a big. I don't know anything about baseball, but it's it's kind of the same deal. Same thing as a quarterback in a, uh, in a on an LSU LSU Alabama football team. It's uh, a lot of it is just knowing your knowing your style, knowing what is wrong, what is right. Uh, well, it, it's, it sounds to me like, and I mean, I'm a baseball coach, and more so more so than a baseball coach, I, I do a lot of lesson work. And, you know, the number one thing that, that we're trying to accomplish, especially with the younger kids, is we're trying to create consistency in their mechanics. Exactly. You know, you, you want to get to the place, and I'm imagining this, I'm, I'm taking this full circle to, either the target or the animal, whichever the goal is in the shot. I'm trying to get a hitter to the place where I teach the mechanics, I make them as good as I can, to where the only thing that matters when the lights come on is the pitcher and the ball. Because exactly. if if they load and fire, the swing is going to take care of itself because that's just how they do it. Every time they swing at a baseball, this is how they do it. And I'm guessing exactly. with traditional archery, it's kind of like that thing in, in, in the world in general. And I'm not trying to diminish the value of practice and preparation with any kind of weapon that you're shooting for target or hunting purposes. But innovation and technology makes our lives easier. And you don't have that with, with in the traditional approach. You have to develop consistency in, your, in, in who you are as a shooter, right? Exactly. Well, one thing that I have, I, and I will say, you're you're on the right track. You you're you're almost exactly right. Every every sport, as in baseball, as in uh, archery, all have the same basics. Uh, like Levi Morgan, he doesn't go out off of uh, a basic just a rudimentary off the line kind of form. He has practiced his form no matter what. Same thing with a traditional archer or a baseball player. Everybody has their own style of form and their their basic is making sure that their execution is as perfect as it can be. Just like a baseball player making sure he hits the target or uh a archer hits what he's aiming at. Uh, one mm-hmm. thing that we teach, 
uh, when we were teaching either kids or newcomers or whatever is to pick a spot. And what we mean by pick a spot is not, uh, you don't, you don't pick the target. You don't pick the shoulder of a deer or an animal. You pick a hair. <laughs> Aim small, miss small is, is one of the biggest mottos that we, we pick. And that, that would be anything I would preach if I was a, a compound shooter coach or uh, anything in that matter. I, if I can, if I can look at a target or an animal and pick the smallest thing that I can focus on and burn a hole into to make my focus to it, that's what I'm aiming at. That is, that is my focus. And that's what I'm trying to hit. And we, we build off of that. It's the same thing as hitting a, uh, uh, a glove in a baseball game or, uh, a bullseye on, a on a target for a rifle shooter. A lot of times we use like a cotton ball, put a cotton ball or something that small, dime size, something that you could really see on the side of that target. And you would be surprised how the groups will shrink. And what that's doing yeah. is focus your eye on that spot. Yep. And, you know, something we've all talked about in the past is is having fun. Um, I know we, we've talked in the past where, you know, a lot of times, a lot of compound shooters will tell you that they will shoot and, you know, it, it, they go through the mechanics, but it's, it's really not a lot of fun. It, it's something that they do because they, it is what you do. You prepare. But uh, we've had times when we were on courses. I mean, we, we had our core groups over the years. And, and honestly, we had so much fun. Uh, on the course, we we were cutting up and making noise, and and really the the compound shooters would look down the the lanes at us and give us all kind of ugly looks. We were having so damn much fun, uh, just goofing around and 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 shooting and making fun of each other, and that's one of the things that we've noticed with a lot of compound shooters. Like like we talked to Ert just previously a minute ago about Tim, you know they're they're usually willing to share and and they just enjoy shooting and you can have you, you can lose a couple of hours fooling around uh either out in the yard by yourself or with the other people and get a judo Absolutely. point just, just start having fun and, and you're practicing but you're enjoying it and it's, it's relaxing uh, judo point uh, and ball is, is the best practice you can have we're we're kind of getting a little. I'm sorry, I got a little off, the weeds there, but a little <laughs> off subject here. Uh, let me ask you this: as a as compound hunters, as compound shooters, what is what is one of the main things that y'all focus on? As in getting tighter groups, being a more being a more efficient hunter. Well, the, as far as the shot part of it goes, for me, my focus is is. 100 percent on my release I, I feel like i've been shooting and and not to go back into the weeds but because it does add to my answer I, I you know i agree with your assessment because i feel like as a compound shooter you know for the majority of the time when i shoot my bow it's a means to an end i'm doing it because i'm checking my equipment i'm you know practicing a little bit and making sure that i'm ready to shoot at an animal 
I'm not doing it just because I enjoy archery. Not that I don't enjoy archery at, at, at some level. It's just, you know, my bow is a tool, and I have to practice with it from time to time to make sure everything is ready to go. It's a means to an end. That end is going out hunting with it and, and executing a shot. But as far as the, the, you know, as far as the focus point during, during practice, for me, I think that I've been shooting a compound bow long enough now that I'm, I'm pretty consistent and not that I never pay attention to it or refresh myself, but I'm pretty consistent with my form and my mechanics. What I have to constantly refresh is having a consistent, smooth release. You know, exactly. in terms of my draw and my anchor and all that seems to stay pretty consistent. That, that, that's not something I have to address that I get off on very much. But, you know, there are times where, you know, I'll, I'll shoot around and I feel like, you know, my, my release, and I shoot a thumb release. I don't shoot a, a caliper or a back tension. I shoot a, a handheld thumb release. And so, you know, it's imperative that once I get to anchor and I get, you know, my pin settled, that I have a smooth, consistent release, you know, and that, to me, that's the biggest point. And, and I have to do that because that's, that's somewhat easy to do in the yard or when you're shooting with friends or whatever. But when it's a hunting situation – and that deer takes the step and he stops and he's right there. It's easy to screw that release point up. It's easy to 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 let off on it or to jump it or to rush it or any of those things because you're trying to get the shot off. But you know, to me, that's the hinge point that I have to focus on. Exactly, and I completely understand. And to to kind of do a little recap, um, a release. The release is a big part of everything. I mean, e- even how Kyler was explaining earlier, how he's kind of short drawing and coming up to meet the string, as in what he was explaining. The the difference between a compound and a traditional bow, which is the ultimate question, is the fact that, yes, your release does matter, but at the same time, with a traditional bow, what the traditional bow, you have to focus on your spot, as in you would on a compound, you would focus on your pin. Your pin, you put it on where you want to shoot. And all the only thing with a compound, all you have to focus on is your release. Yeah. With a traditional bow, you have to focus on everything. Everything, as in the spots you want to hit you're you're focusing on on the spot that you want to hit your release is muscle memory and everything in between but uh from your bow hand your release everything is all muscle memory and uh that that is one of the the easiest ways i can kind of explain it you don't have to think about it or you're not the perfect shot is you don't think about anything except the spot you're looking at. Exactly. That's the most that's the most perfect shot you'll ever make. The way the way that you're explaining your release is is a is a good thing to focus on. Uh, we've taught a lot of uh, kids anywhere from people that show up to the shop to nasp shooters, the uh, shooters in elementary school. Uh, they're shooting Genesis bows. Genesis bows are all based on your form and your release along with compound bows. Compound bows are 
or compound shooters are all based on your release, like like you're explaining. Uh, your release is everything. If you drop your release hand, it can affect your shot. If you pull too early, you let go too too soon. All that can affect your shot. Everything is a factor. And we'll, yeah. Um, let yeah. Me, it, let me say this. This was this was something that this is something that um, that. I wanted to throw out there that that helped me get over short drawing was um, I was <clears throat> I was trying to take that arrow I'd hold um, I'd hold the bow out and I would start to point the arrow at the target before I started drawing back and I would try and draw straight back to my mouth straight back to like um, my my personal anchor point is I kind of tend to bury, bury the tip of my middle finger into the um, right corner of my mouth. And um, I, I, I'd, I'd have to actually draw it to remember. I'm not sure if I make contact with my nose or not. I don't remember. I know I do on my compound, but I can't remember with my trad bow. But I also, uh, another thing to say is I shoot three under now. I used to shoot split finger, but I shoot three under. So when I'm shooting three under, the arrow is closer to my eye. That just works for me um, with the geometry of the shot. But with David, he taught me to draw out almost like away from my mouth, about maybe three to six inches. And that really opens my arm up. Like it, so imagine this. You've got your – pretend you're drawing a bow back. If you draw straight back to your mouth, you're doing a bicep curl, but you're just doing it horizontally, okay? When you draw out away from you, you're doing more of like – it's almost like a reverse shoulder press in a sense where your your shoulder is doing more of the work than your bicep is. And so for me, drawing out and coming to my mouth at full draw was life-changing as far as feeling like I was really in control of where that arrow was going to go. That made a really big difference to me. Um, now, the other thing that uh, I wanted to talk about with y'all is, uh, and just in general about traditional archery, is in compounds, you're buying um, a an arrow for your bow, and the bow kind of determines the spine. On like the bow is more important than the spine of your arrow. You've got a lot of variance. You could cut three inches off of a 350 spine or a 340 spine bow and probably still not be too stiff or too weak. And that's because a compound bow is shooting perfectly center shot. So the archer's paradox isn't as much of a factor. In fact, on a compound, the archer's paradox is more vertical of a wavelength, like up and down flex, than it is left and right. A trad bow is not. Well, some of them are center shot, um, but like I, like I think some of the machine risers like Hoyts and IFL limbs and stuff. I, IFL, IFS, what is it? Which one is it? Um, uh, with international, I can't remember what it stands for, but it's essentially where you can you can uh, increase and decrease the poundage of each limb individually and get your um, I, uh, I, uh, yeah yeah. So, um, but on y'all's bows. In most traditional bows, your arrow is not sitting perfectly center in line 
with um, like like when you release that air is starting slightly out to the left. Am I correct? Yep. Yes. Depending, so, depending on left or right hand, it's either to the left or yeah, to the right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ours are center cut or just an air pad center cut, which puts your arrow. It, it's not dead center. You know. So you you match mm -hmm. your spine to the weight of the bow, and then if you cut your arrows off. We do a thing called bear shafting in, in, in traditional archery where you put no feathers on it, put whatever points you want, and you cut the arrow off, uh, I mean, real small amounts at a time to where that bear shaft will actually stick in the target straight. Mm -hmm. And you match the spine to that, and uh, then it'll shoot just like a rifle, you know. Anyway, uh, Kyle, continue with what you're going with with the ILF. So the the so with traditional bows the archer's paradox is extremely important. Probably the most important part of traditional archery to be honest. And a lot of people don't know what that is. But the archer's paradox is the explanation of how an arrow can start off canted to the left but shoot straight. How does that happen? Well, um uh, for people that don't know the spine of an arrow is extremely important because when you have a correctly spined arrow that's tuned to the bow and the person shooting it, that's also extremely important also because if I'm a 29-inch draw and you're a 27-inch draw and we're shooting the same arrow, you're going to shoot that arrow stiff and probably shoot, to, shoot it to the left and low and to the left because it's not going to have as much energy behind it. Um, but the archer's paradox is um, – uh, has to do with spine and it's essentially the knock of the arrow when you release is tr is absorbing the energy transfer from the string and it's trying to overcome the point of the bow which makes the arrow bend well if it bends too much you have too weak of a spine and that arrow will actually overcorrect and will shoot to the right if it's too stiff then it won't correct quickly enough and stabilized in thin air and in the air quickly enough and you'll typically shoot out to the left and then you've got you know you're up and down which you, you figure that out just pretty much with um where you have uh the arrow knock your knock location but um ultimately the there's there a custom bow is made for you specifically you if you're a 27 and 5 8 draw length and you're coming to full draw and getting full potential with the correct form for your bow, then the right arrow will match that and it'll shoot darts, which means that it'll, um, it will stabilize very quickly after it leaves the, the, um, the riser. Whereas one that's too weak or too stiff is you're going to see it wobble down stream, if you will. Um, and it'll take a while to stabilize and you'll, like you said, Pat, about bear bow, bear uh, shaft tuning, you'll start seeing that arrow will stick in at different angles. Maybe knock high, knock left, knock right, and those mean different things. We won't need to go into the actual tuning of it. But the archer's paradox is, is one of the fascinating things about traditional archery is because an arrow that shoots that, that's pointing off to the left when you release shouldn't go straight, but it does if you have it spined properly. Um, so I wanted to throw that out there because that's part of getting a, a custom bow is 
making a bow to your specific draw length that fits you and nobody else is going to shoot it exactly the same as you do. Well, that's a, a good a good place for us to get into you know, because we want to make sure that we talk about this in this this, this conversation. You, you know, obviously there's a lot that goes into a custom bow outside of just making it look the way you want it to look. So, you know, can you guys go through, let's just assume that I'm I'm the new shooter that actually is able to come to the shop. What is, what, what is the process that you guys go through in building a, a custom bow, aside from just me picking the colors and, and that aesthetic stuff? Fitting it to the hand. First off, uh, fitting to the hand comes basically last. Uh, yeah, it, it comes last. Uh, we're not going to jump to that yet. Uh, first off, we would get you to come to the shop. Uh, we get you to come. We test you through a different couple, uh, different couple poundage uh, bows. See what is comfortable to you. We'll take you out. We'll take you shooting. We'll give you a, a few different bows. See what is comfortable. See what you can pull. You can hold. You can anchor. And once we figure out what is comfortable what you're not straining what is not causing you to have start bad habits then we move from there we'll start to measure your drawn length we'll start to figure out uh, what poundage you need at what drawn length and then from there we'll take you to uh, what style bow you want uh, whether it be a 64 inch whether it be a 62 or a 60 or a 58. And a lot of that determines on your draw length. If you have, let's say, ape arms is what we like to call it. Uh, if you have anywhere from a 32 to, let's say, a 34-inch draw length, which is, it's, it's, it's ape arms, it's very long, we would recommend a 64-inch bow. That way it's smooth. It uh, doesn't do what we call stack. It, it doesn't pinch your fingers too hard. Um, then we go to, after that, you start to pick your your handle colors. You start to pick what you'd like in your limbs. And then the very last step would be fitting it to your hand. Fitting it to your hand makes it a custom, a custom fit bow. And what we mean by that is, no matter what, when you grab that bow, it, it fits like a, a glove to your hand. Whether you have a small hand, you have a big hand, you have sausage fingers, you have skinny, tiny fingers, whatever. Uh, no matter what, every time you grab that bow, it fits you. Nobody else but you. And that's where a true custom bow compared to a production line bow comes in. Well, Kyler, um, how many custom bows have you had made at this point? <laughs> how many? How many? I've uh, I've had two made, um, Craig, and then also uh, Acadian Woods. 
I've owned many of them. So, I had a Super Shrew. It's, this is worth noting. I need to say this so it's on the record. Um, I had a really cool Super Shrew, which was made in, uh, I want to say, um, Michigan, I believe, which is a really short bow. That This particular bow was 54 inches. It has a really short riser. It doesn't stack. Um, really great tree stand bow. Um, and Garrett Ramsey blew it up. I just need to say that so everybody knows that Garrett Ramsey <laughs> destroyed one of my bows. This is many years ago, and as you can tell, I'm over it. it does not bother me anymore. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then um, oh, this uh, this is a true story. Also, after that, um, I ended up, ended up getting a Striker bow, Striker, which is very similar to the Super Shrew, um, and has a real short riser. It was a one piece bow, um, and that bow. Uh, we've talked about this um, psychological phenomenon called um, apophenia before, which is where it's kind of like um, uh, kind of like deja vu. It, 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 it's similar in, to deja vu, where you, apophenia is where you see patterns and unrelated events. Um, and I've talked about this a lot in the past. That bow was cursed, and I after I got that bow, I did not see a deer the rest of the season within bow range. I'm not kidding. I'm not joking. I really mean that for a fact. I started documenting. Okay, I went like 23 hunts without without having a deer in bow range. I sold it at a loss to somebody in Tennessee, and I hope I hope that he like I hope I, I never come within 100 miles of that bow ever again. So. <laughs> Because that bow was cursed, man. I'm serious. Well, what I was going to ask you, it's going to kind of make you the guinea pig uh, following the custom conversation, is, you know, because I knew I knew, I knew, knew how many bows you, you alluded to it earlier about how once you get one, you want all of them kind of thing. But so, I mean, your, your experience, the differences between having a custom bow made and some of the other uh, bows that you've owned. You know, I mean, how how big of a difference has it been for you? Um, so that that's what's interesting. It's not so much. It's not. It's not really a performance factor, and it's not really so much a, uh, a fit factor because one of the things that you don't want to do, in my opinion, as a customer for any bowyer, is you don't want to put. You don't want to give so much custom input that the bowyer is getting away from his design, um, and what I mean by that is, you know, Mr. Pat and Sean Jr., they worked with me on shaping it to my hand, and it still was very much their bow, but I also feel like I went um, a little uh, – I took a lot of meat off of it. It's very slim profile. I like a slim bow. I like – I like you know, coming from a compound. I like a thin riser, a thin um, – I don't like a lot of grip and meat right there. I like it to be pretty minimalist. Um, when I got an Acadian Woods, I didn't um, I didn't give him as much input, um, a little bit, but we didn't take a whole lot of meat off of it because I, you know, you're you're asking somebody to 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 make you something that is it's their passion and it's their product. You don't want to change their product too much. Um, and so a lot of the customizing that I've done more recently is wood selection. That's really cool. You know, combos. And that's actually, 
that's more that's cooler to me than the the fit part. The fit part is just like a given. It's understood. It's going to happen. You have a lot of input on like, okay, well, this is going to be rosewood, or this is going to be ebony, or this is going to be zebra wood, or this is cocobola, blah blah blah. And um and that's cool where you start saying, okay, the um you know the veneers on. Uh, the backside of the limbs are going to be zebra wood, and, and then the riser is going to mainly be uh, ebony, et cetera, et cetera. That's where you really start getting into your thing is your color combo. It's kind of I'm in the market for a truck right now because my truck just hit 300,000 miles. Um, <laughs> and so I've been playing with interiors a lot, and it's a lot like picking the interior of your truck. It's, it's like personal to you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my favorite part about getting a custom made. I, if like, I'm positive I'll get more custom bows made just because they're, you know, addictive, but I'm, I'm now, I'll probably get, I really want to get a, um, there's a, uh, Sean, have you ever heard of Java man? Uh, he's got, so that guy used to be the bowyer for, for shrew bows and he left. I think his name's Greg coffee. Yeah, it is Greg Coffee. That's why I call him Java Man. Coffee, Coffee Man, Java. Um, and You're a wife, that's man. a cool book. That's a cool one. Um, but with him, there isn't a lot of input of like customizing and fit. It's pick your woods and I'll send you the bow when it's done. You know, um, and that's cool also. Just giving people free reign. Hey, make it cool. You know. Um, so there's not a performance difference in my opinion it's more of the aesthetic hmm. uh that's that's what's cool about it for me a lot oh yeah dad dad had a guy call him one time he said look i don't really care what you put in it he said i just want a sexy bow <laughs> there you go and, yeah yeah we had to stop and think about that i'm not i don't think i've really thought of a bow as sexy before yeah that, so how'd you go what direction did you go with that yeah, well, you know, it, we, we scratched our heads on that one for a little while, and, and then we, we built something that we thought was just well, it was cool as hell to us. And um, we sent it to him, and you know what? He, he said, okay, that's sexy. I yeah. like it. So he thought it was sexy, huh? Yeah. yeah. I guess that, that's when you know you're doing something right, when you can well, you satisfy know, well, your customer like that. You know, um, but Connor's a lot, he, he's very right. I mean, we have our – we have our handle that that we like. We try to build a simple something that is universal. People will like, and and once in a while somebody will come up and say, "Well, okay, I want a fuller grip. I want a uh, maybe some finger notches in the front." And it's not often, but you you get that. And so if they're here, they're available. We'll do that. Um, that that's not a huge deal. Um, okay, Harmon. Harmon. Harmon Carson. God yeah. <laughs> Couple of little spots on he 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 wants a couple of little spots extra ground on his oh, just to fit his hand and it, it's okay. very minute and if you didn't we didn't show it to you you probably wouldn't even see what it was but it tickled him so that that's what we do which, which we're yeah. not saying he is the most picky he no, is he actually is. the the most the one of the easiest people to deal with uh, we've dealt with people that oh. wanted finger grooves for every knuckle of the hand. I don't like that. And that that's that's where it comes into, okay, you need to really come by the shop and then fit it to you. But mm-hmm. uh, bring a checkbook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
See, that's I don't funny. like finger grips because to me that's telling me that you gripping that handle. And yeah, you don't you shouldn't be touching grip, it. You know. You need yeah. to hold it light. Um that's I know we're probably making this way too complicated and difficult, but a lot of a lot of traditional archery is is it's very simple. As long as you have certain rules that we like to explain. One rule number one is anchor. Rule number two is bow hand. And rule number three is uh, picking a spot. That's the main two rules that we teach. We teach that to kids. We teach teach that to grown adults. We teach that to everybody. If you can work on those three, and then we build off of that, that that is the best way to become a successful, uh, very accurate traditional shooter. It's the same thing with being a compound shooter. Compound shooter, if you start out, you start out with, say, a bear archery uh, bow. Just, just that I don't know much about the compounds, but that's one of the lower end ones that I know of. You start with that. You start with a regular three palm sight, and one of the biggest things you focus on is your release. That that is, I assume, step number one. Step number two is your bow hand. Whether you drop it out, you keep it still, whatever. Um, and then your arrow selection comes into that. Picking a spot doesn't really matter when you're shooting a compound. Shooting a compound, you have your sights to pick your spot. As long as your sights are still on target, it doesn't matter. But your two biggest things is your anchor and your bow hand. If you drop your bow hand too early, if you drop it wrong, you have no no shot. Uh, and it, that's that's one of the things that we try to promote with, while trying to teach traditional archery and making it easy is anchor. Uh, well, I don't forget the second one. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't forget the second one. What was it? Yeah. Bowhand. Anchor, bowhand, and then picking a spot. Yeah. Anchor, bowhand, picking a spot. That that is three simplest ways to teach traditional archery. It's three simplest ways to be successful. Right. Successful. I can't say that word. Successful in a sexy bow. At Craig Archery in Pineville. That, that's just an added plus. <laughs> well, I hope that uh, I hope our conversation has answered a lot of people's questions, and will you know kind of uh, encourage people to look further into it, and you know maybe e- even go that route of getting something custom made. I think uh, I'm, I know just my experience around hunting and deer camp and stuff like that. I know hunters and and as just a kind of traditional rule hunters tend to be a lot like me in that we kind of go overboard with our equipment and it's something we're passionate about so we dive way off into it and uh i i I, i've said before you know kyler has a a, um a kind of common thing that he says we end up mentioning turkey hunting a lot because i'm a big turkey hunter and involved in that sport a lot and Kyler always says it's something that uh, he he doesn't want to try because he's afraid he'll like it, and you know, meaning he'll get all into it and another hobby that he can't afford to have. And that's 
somewhat how I felt about traditional archery. Back with him. I, that's that's something that I, I've never tried, but I'm afraid to try. That's kind of how I've been about traditional archery, and I know there's probably plenty of people that have kind of been like me on the fence about it. Hopefully our conversations answered a lot of questions. I, I know for me it has, and it's uh, you guys have shared a lot of great information and, and um, love the fact that we've got you guys in our state building quality uh, product like that. And so that's very cool, and we really appreciate your time. Come on the podcast, talk about it, share with us. Well, if you ever get a chance, come by here, and uh, we will do our darndest to uh, convince you that you really need to get into this. Yep. Uh, get away from your training wheels. Yeah, get I away mean, from your uh, training uh, wheels. Uh, compound bows. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you probably don't have to do a whole lot of convincing. Once I once I get to that point, you probably won't have much of a sales pitch. Right. But uh, but yeah, I, it's gonna happen one day. It's just uh, I gotta I gotta I gotta get to a I gotta get settled because, like I said, I I know uh, I know I'm gonna dive off into it, and then also you know committing the time to doing it right. So. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so Kyler, you got anything else before we wrap up? Um, well, the last thing I want to talk to them about is, um, well, two things. How can they get in touch with you? Um, like your phone number, social media, et cetera, et cetera. And then secondly, um, I think people would be surprised at the affordability of a custom bow. Can y'all give us some, some ranges on what people can expect? Uh, obviously, it's going to be dependent on materials, but give us some sort of range on some of your bows. Well, like the one-piece longbows, uh, the very plainest ones, I'm, I'm talking about real plain, we go like 400 and better. Now, and, of course, that goes up with depends on what wood you use, you know. Mm-hmm. Then, like on the, uh, the three-piece bows, we start them at seven. So just because of they're, they're three different pieces. That's, that's black glass. I mean, that's real plain. Yes. Uh, and there's no difference in the performance because they all built off the same forms. It's just the, the woods that you put in them can, can drastically up the price, you know. Um, base model on, let's say, your Falcon X2s, your FX2s, that is your three-piece longbow. They start at seven. And the uh, Raptors, they start at four, depending on your woods. Uh, 400s is your base model. That is black glass. Uh, that is uh, action wood. And it goes up from there. Uh, how, much, how much are we running on the Ospreys? 250? Three? Three. Three uh, on the Ospreys and two three on the Eagle. Yeah, right. Uh, the Ospreys are what we call our bow fishing line or our kids line. Uh, they're they are a fifty four to fifty eight inch recurve. Fifty four. Uh-huh. The base model we're making fifty fours. You know they uh, making fifty six, but I mean fifty uh, fours is what we mainly do. Those those range from. 300 to 250 depending on uh which whether it's a 56 or a 54 and same thing with kids bows kids bows start at 200 dollars. okay all right well good i think that that 
gives some people a pretty good idea. Obviously, my I suggest getting in touch with y'all and then blocking out half a day at a minimum to spend with you at your shop because your shop is a black hole of time and it um, it accelerates massively there to where you get there you get there in time for lunch and you show up late for dinner um, back back at home. Look, dude, so, you're not the only ones. Even we have in there and not pay attention. So it, yeah. you're right. It is the black hole of time. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it's us fun. Just a lot of don't even pay attention to what time it is when we show up or when we leave. And when normally when we leave, we're in trouble. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, what's uh what what's some of the different uh, mediums that you guys have for people to find out more and get in touch with you? Website, phone, social media, those kind of things. Uh, we, we do have a Facebook page, uh, Craig's archery on Facebook. We do have a Instagram account. It's also Craig's archery. Um, or you can get a hold of one of us. We, we have a webpage that has our email, uh, phone numbers and everything on it. It's craigsarchery.com. That's C-R-A-I-G. Uh, archery.com so encourage people to go and check that out get in touch and hopefully like kyler said you can block off some time to go visit them and do it all the right way we appreciate it guys thank you so much for for answering my questions and and having a great conversation about traditional archery like i said it's becoming more and more popular i think um you know the the sport of archery is is an is an interesting one in in the way people react to it and how they get off into it and like i said early on in the in the conversation i think there's a lot of guys who evolve in the direction of challenging themselves and um you know we didn't talk a whole lot about it but it it obviously uh becoming a traditional archer aside from all of these things that we have to take into account with how we shoot and how we become a proficient shot uh shooting in a traditional method you also have to become a, a much better woodsman in order to get that close consistently to to your target animal so uh, all of those things are, are kind of piquing people's interest, and I think we had a good conversation to answer a lot of questions. So um, that being said, you guys check out LouisianaBowHunter.com. Pick up a cap, one of our, our pieces of gear there, make great stocking stuffers. If uh, if you got a local shop around you that don't have our gear, give us a shout, and we'll see if we can get some in stock. And uh, Sean, Sean Jr., Pat, thank you again for joining us. Kyler, anything else before I wrap it up? Nope, I'm good, man. Well, good luck, you guys. We're almost to that time of the season in the south where the hunting ought to pick up. Hopefully we'll get some good weather patterns, and guys will have some success. Share those uh, pictures and and videos and and whatever you got um, hunting in our state. Share that with us. We'd love to post your your stuff out there. And, uh, again, back to the the, the giveaway we're doing. If you've you've purchased any scree gear, send me a review with your name, location, what you've purchased and what you think about it, and you'll get in that drawing for a Louisiana bow hunter gear pack at Christmas. And we thank you so much for your support and listening every week, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bow Hunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bow Hunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.